This Sunday we're stepping into Psalm 11. We're on a a very long journey through the book of Psalms. Every Sunday we're taking on another Psalm. And soon, real soon, we're going to take a break and we're going to actually move into the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be studying this this story of Jesus, this, this, this account of the life of Christ. And then at some point we'll take a pause and we'll move back into the Psalms and we'll just do this for probably many years. And eventually... We will have studied verse by verse the Psalms, Luke, and Acts. And it's a journey. I think it's going to be really rich and good for all of us. Um, so if you've come, if you're new, welcome to a multi-year, uh, a multi-year journey with us. Uh, after we're done, you can leave um, and, and leave our church. But you ha- if you've come to begin this journey, you're in for the long haul. Uh, don't leave or God will judge you. So um, <laughs> they think I'm joking. So, um, so, so here we are. We're in Psalm 11. We're in Psalm 11, and Psalm 11 it, uh, takes us to a place we've been multiple times already. It, it brings to the forefront this group of people that we've seen referred to over and over again. Um, if we think about these people as characters, well, these characters have emerged multiple times at this point in our journey. Through the Psalms. Actually, Psalm 1 introduces us to this group of people. Here they are. Let's just take a look. Psalm 1, 4 and 6. Not so the wicked. It's the wicked. The wicked, this group, this was introduced to us from the get-go in the book of Psalms. Here's what Psalm 1 had to say about the wicked. They're like shafts that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The wicked. The wicked is referred to multiple times up to this point in the book of Psalms. The wicked are referred to in Psalm 3, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10. The only two Psalms that have not referred to the wicked directly are 4 and 8. Just a couple places I want you to see how the wicked have been referred to. Just up to this point. Take a look at Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. And then in Psalm 9, 5, You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You blotted out their name forever and ever. What we've seen uh, time and again uh, in this just already multiple week journey in the book of Psalms is that the wicked will be judged and the wicked are causing a lot of problems for God's people. The wicked are arrogant. They reject the Lord. They have no room in their minds for the Lord and they're causing lots and lots of trouble for people like David. The wicked are causing lots of trouble. Psalm 11 really picks up uh, this same theme. Psalm 11, the psalm we sit in today, again brings up the wicked. So this, this character keeps coming up over and over. And today they come up again, but with a twist. And it's in this twist that our eyes will be drawn to Christ. And it's actually going to have something to say about your life and mine right here uh, where we live. But hopefully you'll see all of it to God's glory and have something to do with your ordinary life. Let's pick up Psalm 11. We'll read the whole thing. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to read through it just directly from the Scripture. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 11. I'm reading out of the New International Version, the NIV. 
if you want to follow along here. In the Lord, David writes, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, He hates with a passion. Oh, on the wicked He will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see His face. Now, there's a lot there in every one of the psalms we've seen. There is so much uh, in these in these psalms. And that's no different here in Psalm 11. It begins, you notice in verse 1, if you're still looking at the text, uh, you notice in verse 1, David begins with a declaration. He begins with a declaration, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. Like, the Lord is where I'm going to find safety. Now, this is like King David. King David... The, the apple of God's eye. The, the one who God established a special covenant with. You might be like me. Like, like, what was David supposed to say? You would expect someone like David to say, the Lord is my refuge, right? Like, what was his other option here? Now, in this case, there was another option. There was another option for David. It's not just like David was just like naturally bent toward following God. When he says, I have taken, in the Lord I take refuge, that's just not a natural inclination here. At some point, there's been a choice to go this way and not that way. Notice what the, how verse 1 ends. Someone, we don't know who, no scholar can nail down exactly who's saying this to David, but someone, some group of people, some group of advisors, or one particular person is saying to David, flee like a bird to your mountain. So in this midst of David declaring, I take refuge in the Lord, we know there's another option on the table. Someone has said to David, no, flee, like get out of here, go find safety somewhere else. But he didn't. He takes refuge in the Lord. Why would someone say flee? Like go flee, find safety somewhere else. I mean, what's happening? That's where verse 2 and 3 come in. Notice how the psalmist here, how David writes up verse 2. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows of the upright in heart. Whatever is happening in David's life, the wicked are creating trouble again for David. Maybe this is the same situation. And David has prayed to God in multiple different ways and they've been written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and these different prayers have now been recorded for us, but all referring to the same event. Maybe that's the case. But whatever is happening, the wicked are again causing trouble. And in this way, they're in the shadows ready to do great harm. And there is something about this moment for David, at least as he words it in this prayer, that this has reached the heights of danger. This, is, this has unsettled him so much that he then says this. This is the twist. Verse 3. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen, David is no stranger to wicked people coming to bring harm. But at some point in a prayer, at some, at, at, at some time, 
David felt the threat of these wicked people as not just a threat to his safety, but literally the foundations were being torn down. One scholar describes this, this reference to the foundations this way. Here's what he says. The foundations that David refers to appear to be a metaphor for the order of society, the established institutions, the social and civil order of the community. Literally, things are falling apart. Things are crumbling. It feels like there's no more stability. The world you once knew, it's no longer that anymore. And you don't even know how to navigate it. Something about the trouble that the wicked are causing in this moment has created such a stir and is such a threat that David feels as if the foundations are crumbling. And he doesn't necessarily know how to navigate all that. Now here's what's so fascinating is within the context of feeling like your world is falling apart, David is declaring, in the Lord I take refuge. So that just elevates, at least for me, it elevates this declaration at the beginning of the prayer. It's not that just David's saying something super spiritual, you know, like he's expected to say. It's the fact that his world is falling apart. There's a great threat that's come against him, and it literally feels as if the foundations are falling from beneath him. In that moment, he says, in the Lord I take refuge. Now you've got to ask a guy, where are you coming up with this? Why? Why would you trust in Him and not go flee for another path to safety? It's because of what He says in verse 4 and 5. This is why He begins by saying, In the Lord I take refuge. Right here. In verse 4 and 5 He says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, will be hates with the past. Now, there's so much we could do with any number of verses, but here, let's just note, for David, even as the foundations crumble, there's one thing that doesn't crumble. It's God's holy throne. That's the thing that is stable. And so for David, who is a very logical man usually, he got in trouble sometimes when he went the way of his passions and his appetites and his desires, but as a man who knew how to think logically, he knew that when you face trouble and when the foundations of your world are apart, you don't go flee. You don't go flee to something that could be just as unstable. You go to the thing that is most stable. Actually, it is the only thing that is stable. We know that because he actually describes the throne of God as holy. It's the thing set apart. In all the universe, it's the thing that is stable. And it's not just His holy throne. It's a holy throne from which comes judgment. So guess what? The wicked, they don't win. The wicked won't get away with it. Yes, it appears that they're prospering and all is well in their world. They're destroying so many other things in society. But David knows in the end, God brings judgment, and the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will not stand in His presence. God will make sure justice is done. It may not be in His timing, but you can be sure of it. God will not let wickedness win. David knows that as he knows breath coming in and out of his lungs. 
And so for him, it's only logical that you run to that thing that is the stable thing. Like, that's just reasonable. That's not a leap of blind faith. That's logical. Any of us presented that option would do the same thing. It might be more of a struggle with our own issue with understanding who God is than it has anything to do with God. And so let's summarize it this way. I want to say it this way. The foundations of society, I'm just thinking big picture here. The foundations of society may be splintering, but the Lord's throne is still solid. So no matter how much the wicked rage, the Lord will bring justice. That's the thing David knows. Just like he would know 2 plus 2 equals 2. He knows that, and therefore, as the world is crumbling around him, he says, I will stick with the Lord. Interestingly, like this isn't the first time that the wicked have brought, have brought such a threat that it appears the world is crumbling. Like We've seen the theme multiple times up to this point, so I just want to pick a couple, because I want you to see that the whole of Scripture is unified in its message. Note this, Psalm 2. Do you remember this? Psalm 2, verse 1 to 6. Why do the nations conspire, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and His anointed. Very similar to what we're seeing in Psalm 11. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Well, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. I have installed my King on Zion, my holy mountain. You can be guaranteed that no matter what threat comes against the God of the universe, He will ensure justice. That is the same message we're seeing in Psalm 11. Here in Psalm 11, it gets real personal. Because for David, the foundations of his world is crumbling. He's got to decide, do I go flee to escape to another God or in his own strength? Or do I go take refuge in the Lord? Well, he says, I'm going with the Lord because it's his throne that is stable, solid, rooted. Psalm 9, one more time. Psalm 9, 7 and 8. The Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The thing that that the modern world doesn't want to hear, or the postmodern world, however you want to describe our world, there are a lot of different ways of describing it in our day. The one big thing no one wants to hear is that every human is going to get judged. That, yes, it actually does matter what you do in private. We have this idea, as a modern human, that I have some type of autonomy that as long as I don't hurt anyone, whatever I do in private, well, that's my, those are my decisions. These are my choices. This is my body. I do what I want. I'll, do, I'll live however I choose to live as long as I don't hurt anyone. Who cares? That's just simply a delusion. What you and I do public and private, will be brought before the throne of God. Now, the good news for every Christian and everyone that comes to Christ in faith is all of that ugly has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Because it's got to be accounted for. And it is in Christ. But this idea that I'm some autonomous being that can do what I want and no one can tell me otherwise, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, that's simply a lie from the pit of hell. 
And I don't say that to try to be provocative. I mean, literally, there is a hell where there is deconstruction, where, where there is violence, where, where there is no God and love and justice. There is a place where things break down. Lies like, I'm an autonomous being that can do what I want. That's coming from that place. That's where that's coming from. And so David understands that there is a God. He's holy and he sits forever on his throne and he will judge with equity. Interestingly, in all of our talk of inclusion and diversity and equity, they don't have a corner on that. Here's the one that has, will ensure true equity. Not some policy coming from some, some institution. It won't, be, it won't be coming from the halls of the HR department in companies across the country. Equity will be coming from the throne room of the Holy God. That's where equity is coming from. David understands all this, so when his world is falling, he says, I'll take refuge in the Lord. That's where I'm going to. So I want to summarize it this way. We'll just kind of try to put that, boil all that down in just a, 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 a phrase. Every human, they're going to be measured by the standard of the holiness of the Father, Son, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the wicked will not be able to stand in the throne of God. Now, if it was me being judged by, by George as my standard, I might have a chance. I just might. I just might. Maybe. Jenny, I got no chance. But George, I got a chance. But you and I aren't being measured by each other. We'll be judged by the holiness of God. David understands all this. It's why he, can, he is confident that God's bringing judgment. Now, interestingly, when David gets to this point where, where he brings into his prayer a prayer for judgment, he hyperlinks back to a story, a story that is actually just well-known in, in popular culture. It's that story where a group of people in a particular city, they were full of sexual morality, arrogance, abusing, oppressing the poor. And God tried to, to bring messengers to that city, but it didn't work. And so, in that moment, for Sodom and Gomorrah, it was burning sulfur that was dropped down on that city. And they were judged because of their wickedness. David knew that story. He grew up hearing that story. So when David gets to the point in this prayer where he wants to declare judgment on these wicked people, wicked people who are, are the cause of the foundations of his world falling apart, David gets to this point in his prayer where he knows God will judge, and now he wants God to judge, and he hyperlinks back to that story. God, do what you did then. Do it again. I'm not saying that you and I need to be praying that prayer. I'm saying, though, here David laying out his heart, praying this kind of judgment on these that have caused this rocking of the foundation of his world. Here's what it looks like. I'm using here, we've read it out of the New International Version, which looks like a statement that God is going to do this. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's actually a prayer. Let, let God do this. So I just want you to see verse 6 in a translation that gets it closer to what he, what he wrote. There in verse 6, in the English Standard Version, let him, this is the Lord, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Give them their due. That's the prayer. And then he lands the whole thing down on a statement of confidence. It was verse 7, just to make sure we don't miss it. 
He begins by saying, in the Lord I take refuge, and he ends with with this statement of confidence. He knows where it's going to end. Even as his world is falling apart, he ends, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice, and the upright will see his face. You stick with the Lord, that's the guarantee. You go flee to a mountain, there's no guarantee where life goes to you. So he says, I'll stick with the Lord. There's Psalm 11. There's a lot going on in Psalm 11. You'd think seven verses wouldn't have that much there, but it does. Now, in the end, Psalm 11 is really a story about two paths. Now, we've been seeing this play out in our many weeks through the Psalms up to this point, but it's something that plays out throughout the Scriptures, two paths. You can go your way, where it's in your strength, and you've got it all figured out, or you can go the way of the Lord, and you can trust in Him and His wisdom. In the beginning, there were two people, and they decided at some point it was better to go their way. And now you live in their world. You see, Adam and Eve thought they could do it their way. Didn't work out. And you and I still live with the consequences. And yet Christ came. And Christ came and He did it the way of His Father. And He entrusted His life to His Father and then gave His life for the sins of the people. And now He is enthroned in heaven, given the name above every name. Two ways. The book of Psalms actually starts with this very theme. Now, if Psalm 1 was, was 20, 30 verses, I would just take an excerpt, read you a few. But because Psalm 1 is one of my favorites, and it's only six verses, we're reading it. We're reading it. My captive audience, we are reading it. Psalm 1, if you have a Bible and you've been reading along with me, you can go just flip back to Psalm 1 or flip click uh, back in the Bible app. Here's Psalm 1. I want you to see, just, I want you to grab the two ways you got two ways here. There's not like some gray area. There's two ways. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. Now that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Well, not so the wicked. They are like the shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. David, David was declaring in Psalm 11, I'm going to be a tree planted by streams of living water. I'll be a tree whose fruit comes in In its right season, no matter what is happening, I'm producing fruit. My leaves will stay green. When David says, in the Lord I take refuge, it's just another way of saying, I'm a tree planted by streams of water. David has chose this way. To take the advice of those people that say, flee, flee like a bird to the mountain, that's like saying, go your own way, do it in your strength, you'll figure it out. There's no other hope but your own strength. David says, I'm not going that way. That way is an unrooted way. That's the way of shaft. That's like being blown in the wind. And in the end, if you're not rooted in the Lord, you'll be blown away. It leads to destruction. Psalm 11 is a riff off of Psalm 1. It's just a personal view of what that looks like for David. Now, there's this other place in the Bible that Jesus, that, that Jesus actually demonstrates this same principle, famous passage, sure you know it, 
the same themes running right through it. Actually, I think Jesus is picking up these teachings from the book of Psalms and elsewhere. You might know the passage. Remember, he gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he brings it to a head. And he tells this story to end that sermon. Here's what he says. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. Therefore, while everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Well, the rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Well, the rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Psalm 11 is just another version of this teaching from our Lord. Storms will come. The foundations of your life will be rocked at some point. You can guarantee that something in life is going to crash. Something at the foundation of what you think is stable will at some point crumble. And at that point, your foundation will be revealed. Jesus is very clear. Storms are going to come. Either you're building your life on sand or rock. Those are your options. If you are with me, another way of saying, in Christ I take refuge, if that's your way, there will be no storm that will break you because you are with Him. But if you are not with Him, good luck. Good luck keeping a house standing up on sand. Good luck. I mean, really, give it a shot and see if it works. Some people don't come to Christ until much, much, much later in life. 60s, 70s, even some in their 80s. I remember at the church we were at in Indianapolis, I remember baptizing a man, a, a woman. Sorry, no, I knew exactly what it was. I'm sorry. I had two people in mind and I'm picking one. It was clearly a woman. After what we've been through after the last several weeks, I had to make that very clear. She was in her 90s and she had decided to follow Christ. And you should have seen this baptism. I mean, we had multiple people around her. She was very frail. And about two months later, she passed away and I did a funeral. This woman had finally come to the point where she realized she could not do it in her strength and she came to Christ. But it took a lot of years to figure that out. There really are two ways. Now, now with all that said, with these two ways in front of us, with Psalm 11 kind of framing our morning, I want to bring it, bring some application. Just let's take away some things from Psalm 11 that begin to bridge into the world we live in, like right now. I got three things. We're going to move quickly through the first two, and I'm going to just hover around the third, because it's going to have something for you and I to do this week. Here it is, point number one. We've talked a lot about wicked people. We've talked a lot about God's judgment. Just so we're clear. Wicked people are not going away until Jesus returns. Okay? Just, I just want to just make sure. So when you turn on the news this week and another bad person has done another bad thing or another bad country has done another bad thing and, and, and that news is presented to you to get you all riled up as if this is something new, it is not. 
and it will happen again. Bad people will be here until the end when judgment comes. So just just balance some of your frustration with our current world. I'm not saying don't get mad at evil. But what I am saying is lay down the optimistic hope that somehow a policy, a president, a party is somehow going to remove bad things and bad people. Not going to happen. Wicked people are with us until Jesus returns. So just let that calibrate your anger and frustration. Nothing you do will stop that. It will be God who brings justice. You can pray for that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But just keep in mind, bad things are going to happen because there are bad people. And they'll be here until Jesus returns. I think it's just a good calibration for us in a world where we're being fed lots and lots of bad news all the time. And it's always breaking news. Always. Okay. We should do something one Sunday and see if we can guess what the next breaking news will be for the week. Uh, like, because we can guess. It'll, someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to overdose. Something bad's going to happen with the economy, or at least the numbers are going to come out. You just guarantee something like that's going to happen. My hope is not in good news. My hope is in God. I guess who has the good news. Sometimes spontaneity catches me. Here we go. All right. Second point. When societal foundations crack or crumble, we do not lose hope because our hope is ultimately in the Lord, not social institutions. If inflation gets up to 60-70% and I'm using dollar bills for napkins, I know that the Lord still reigns. Just keep that in the forefront of your mind. No matter how bad it gets, His throne is still stable. That means you're going to have to keep that in front of you. Because if you're using dollar bills as napkins, something really bad has happened, and you're going to have to keep truth in front of you constantly to not go the way of pessimism and despair, which is where the world will go. You've got to keep this stuff right in front of your mind all the time. All right, third. When the foundations of our personal lives crack or crumble, we do not lose hope because God is still with us. And He's for us. This one gets more personal. Listen, this this sounds real super spiritual. It seems like it's somewhere out in the clouds and you can't access it because what I want to ask of myself, even as I bring the point to you, is what does this look like on the ground? If your spouse dies, your kid is terminally diagnosed with cancer. If you lose your job and have no hope of another one. If you're disabled and you can't work anymore and you don't know what your life's going to look like. If your relationships are tearing apart, you have an adult child who you think is gone off the off the radar and you don't know if they're ever coming back. I mean, you can we can just lay out scenario after scenario. Sarah, what happens when your life falls apart or mine? And I'm saying here, don't lose hope. God's with you. That just seems to be inaccessible. But what I mean is, you and I at this point have to grab beyond what we can see. What I'm saying is, you and I have, we have to grab at a thought that is a reality. That is as true as our bodies are. We've got to grab for it and keep it in front of our eyes every day because when, the, because when the storm comes, you will be stable with Him. 
But, but I'm, I, I, am, I, I acknowledge to, to not lose hope, to not lose hope when everything's crumbling, well, well, that just seems crazy. It's just good that we have some guides in Scripture. What I'm saying is you and I have to be Habakkuk's. We have to grab for something beyond what we can see and make the decision that no matter what happens, I'm never leaving the Lord. And my everyday decisions will be framed by Him. I literally will look through the prism of Scripture and not the news and not the despair in my life. I'm looking through Scripture even when I don't understand why. I'm looking through that to make decisions. I'm grabbing for the beyond knowing that it's as real as I am. This is what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 and 19. You know I love the Scripture. read it many times. Habakkuk gets to the end of his prophecy and says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. That's another way of saying the foundations have I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign, sovereign, in control Lord. He's my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer enables me to tread on the heights. That means I can run and I can keep going when life is very risky. That's the thing I'm talking about. David isn't some super spiritual hero who didn't struggle when his foundations were crumbling. He's a man who was convinced that no matter what happened, no sheep in the pen, olive crop fails, my life is falling apart. Even in the midst of all of that, I'm grabbing beyond what I can see and I will find strength in the Lord. Which means today I'm going to make decisions based on the Lord. I might be tempted to cheat or lie or have an affair or look at things I shouldn't look at. I might be tempted to gossip. I might be tempted to just lay in bed all day and just don't do anything. No, no, I, no, no, no. I, what, what Habakkuk, what David, what everyone that has walked with Jesus as a stable foundation has done is said, today I'm going to get up. I mean, this guy get up out of bed. And I'm going to do the next right thing that I know and I'm going to trust God to take care of the rest. Like real practical stuff. I won't cheat. I won't have the affair. I will say yes to what needs to be approved. And I'll say no to what, what I need to say no to. Like, I'm just going to keep walking today. That's what Habakkuk's talking about. And what the, the author of Psalm 1 knew, what David in Psalm 11 knew, what Habakkuk knows here at the end of his prophecy, is what Paul knew and what he wrote right here. Romans 8. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He knew no matter what else happened, God's going to turn it to good for every person that loves Him. You can take that to the bank every day of the week. Now, how is that reasonable? Like, in what way can you see it all working out? Usually we can't. The only way you usually see that is in the rearview mirror, where you look back and go, wow, look at what God did for me. That is the kind of life I want. It's the kind of life David was moving in, and it's the kind of life Jesus says is the wise life. So here's the next step. Next step is this. Carry a rock around this week, and remember who your rock is. So I want you to do that. 
carry a rock around. Hey, where am I going to get a rock? Well, I got you covered because I bought rocks. That's right, I bought rocks. They're actually at the front of the room. So when we come to do communion today, grab a rock. Now, there are multiple sizes. It'll say a lot about what you, what kind of rock you pick. There are big ones and small ones. Now, get creative with how you want to do this. I know for some of you, you, you might actually take this literal, and you'll get a small one, you'll put it in your pocket, and you'll carry around that rock all week. But some of you might get one of those big rocks. Now, kudos if you want to carry around that rock all week. But maybe what you do is you take that rock and you write something on it. God is my rock. Maybe you quote Psalm 11.1, 1, In the Lord I take refuge. Maybe you, t- and you, just, you take that rock and you put it on your desk. You put it on you know, your bathroom vanity. Whatever. Like, keep that rock near you or in front of you this week. I imagine it might go beyond this week. And you never forget that when life is unstable, He is. Even when you don't feel it, you don't see it, and you can't see beyond your situation, you can know that in a hundred years, and for some of you much shorter, all will be well. All will be well. Do not give up. Do not give up. Your refuge and the only thing stable for a few years of fleeting comfort or apparent safety. Because what you will find is in leaving the Lord, you have fleed to the most unstable place you stay on the rock. And let the rock this morning that you pick up, let it be a reminder to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. It challenges us, it convicts us, it brings us into reality. And we need it. Because we are a confused people. And we are hit with messages from every direction. And for many of us, sometimes it feels as if the foundations of society and maybe even our personal lives are falling apart. This day, we say, by your power, your grace, your spirit, you are our strength and you are our rock. You are the firm foundation. And we're going to need your help to live into that in ordinary life, like the rest of today. So help us. And may the rock be a reminder that you are the sovereign Lord who is our strength. And we pray it all in the name of Him who by grace has saved us by His death and resurrection. Applied to us by your Spirit, Jesus the Christ. And together we say, Amen.